Hello and welcome to a special episode of No Limit with Christoph and Luke. Today is our one-year anniversary. It's our birthday. Christoph, I made you a cake. <laughs> Blow your candle out. Blow your candle out. For, uh, for those listeners that don't have the uh, video, Luke just uh, showed me a, a cake with a very special candle that said, uh, let, me, let me put this in British terms, I think it said, bugger off, you're old. With right? a grand old, with a grand old age of one year, we've made it. We made it to a year. Incredible! <laughs> it is incredible. You've uh, on one side, you know, you've put up with me for a whole year, uh, and I had the good grace to learn from you for a whole year. So what? What a privilege! <laughs> hey, I've got a bunch of things that uh, I, the conversations I've loved having with you over the last 25 episodes. So uh, I think we're going to reflect on a few of those things today. Some of the, the highs and lows of the last 26 episodes of No Limit. But this is actually a special episode for another reason as well. Christoph, what have we got planned? We have planned a new kind of show for you called Wall Street Wildlife. We wanted to give ourselves a little bit more flexibility in what we can talk about, uh, including running and talking about a real money portfolio competition that we've scheduled to run for the duration of an entire year, in which Luke and I will genuinely be trying to outcompete one another, starting with cold hard cash deposited into our respective brokerages. And we will be trading and talking about why we're doing what we're doing in the hope that these trades help teach people the principles that we're trying to enact as investors. And I think what will be fun, Luke, uh, is that it's not that we will necessarily be um, thinking about our very best ideas that we would, you know, back the track truck up within our own personal portfolios, but rather that we will be embodying two different kinds of investing styles. And because it's real money, obviously it's not a joke. So, and there's nothing about it that's frivolous. Uh, but it will give us a way to talk about slightly more uh, uh, strategy, more strategies, more uh, assets, things like index funds, possibly crypto, and all kinds of things that go into investing. And, and I love the fact there's a consequence, and I love your idea for the consequence. <laughs> the, the stakes couldn't be more higher, and this is why. Not only does the loser have to buy dinner for the winner and their uh, better half, but the dinner has to be either, uh, I guess, delivered, dressed, the loser dressing up in their uh, animal uh, costume, or they have to go to the restaurant dressed in the animal costume. <laughs> so the, lo the loser will either be wearing a monkey outfit or a badger outfit. You do not want to be the loser in this contest. I definitely don't want to go to a vegan restaurant dressed as a badger. That would be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> 
What's on the menu, chaps? <laughs> right, and I thought in our conversations about this, uh, Luke, that you mentioned that nothing short of a three-star Michelin restaurant will do for this con- contest, correct? So we're going to, what is it, Nobu or no- Noma in, in Copenhagen or wherever, uh, right? And I think, Luke, uh, this is, uh, we'll be sharing our journey very publicly on X, Twitter slash X. So yeah. if you do not follow us at this point, please make an effort to follow at 7LukeHallard and at 7FlyingPlatypus, where as soon as this journey starts, we're shooting for next week, right? Uh, yep, yep. We're going to start with, we're going to show you guys our $1,000 initial deposits, and then it's live and go time. And, and a year from then, there, there can only be one winner. <laughs> but we're going to learn a ton of stuff along the way but shall we reflect on no limit you know it's been a fabulous year i think it uh would be a a great thing to do to look back at some of the uh the high and the low points and uh maybe just sort of pick out some of our favorite topics you know i did look at our uh tracker so 26 or 25 episodes to date and apparently we've talked about 89 different topics i'm sure there's been a bunch of other random stuff in there but 89 topics in our monday dashboard anything that comes to mind when you think about your favorite points from that yeah uh one of the topics i loved you bringing up is uh it was a tweet by someone i can't remember something like become the one person in your family that gets into investing this is a wild phenomenon you know you and i do investing stuff I don't know, it feels to me like nonstop. I mean, I'm a professor and I, I have this other life and I'm also a therapist and I have clients and I help, like and I write newsletters, but <laughs> in the background, right? Like I'm always thinking stock market and investing and and so and have been doing that for twenty uh how old am I now? Twenty <laughs> something <laughs> years, right? So anyway, that's a long time to be doing something. And so, you know, for us, for me it's kind of just ingrained into my my life and my subconscious. It's interesting to me that you go out in the real world and most people, right, the majority of people, and so we're talking about hundreds of millions of people, do not invest in any way whatsoever. And then there's a small percentage that invest in index funds and just don't, you know, they somebody else does it for them. But what we're talking about is teaching people how to beat the market and invest in individual companies, which is a whole separate thing. And most people don't do it. So this tweet become that one person. To me, it's highly aspirational or inspirational, because it reminds us that you only need to, if you have a family of 20, cousins, brothers, parents, it just takes you, the one person to get serious about investing, to learn about it, to share the knowledge and change the lives of a wide group of your people. It's a big thing. Yeah, it's great. And uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, you probably are that one person in your friends group or family group. So, you know, take that responsibility seriously. It's quite interesting. Um, The influence you can potentially have. Uh, let, Let me give you a a comment back in return though so um you know what there were so many things uh that really made me after the recording and because i do the editing so after the recording i listen to the edit and i'll be like 
wow, that's, this guy's a really smart guy. <laughs> and I possibly, in the, in the heat of the battle and the conversation, I hadn't quite taken in, you know, the import of what you were, what you were saying. And it's only when I'm editing it, I really, really realise the kind of depth of your thinking. Your comments on um, to be an investor, to be a successful investor, you not only have to be right, you have to be contrarian. I think that's a very powerful idea that I didn't perhaps appreciate quite so much. Um, I've got a bunch of like non-contrarian stocks in my own portfolio. But if you're looking for those real, like, you know, hundred baggers, as Chris Mayer might say, those real kind of breakout potential stocks, um, you do have to be contrarian. You, know, you do have to look in these... Uh, the sort of dung piles for the crazy thing stocks that everybody else thinks are kind of broken, bad business models, or they're on a kind of declining curve. And you have to really, as you seem to have a great skill for, identify where the, uh, the needle might be in the haystack. And there's a reason I think this is extremely hard, Luke. And I'll offer counter to my own, to that, that comment too. The reason... Uh, the contrarian bit is necessary has to do with valuation usually if everybody loves a company and everybody agrees the company is great then the valuation will be that much higher the expectations are that much higher and the only way you win there if is if the company exceeds expectations which after certain points you get into hype territory and bubble territory and then it's an issue of timing and and so it's it's harder to beat the market when everybody is thinking the same way that's kind of the reason for that but the counter to that right is that if you're mucking around in the dung pile as it were you are looking at lesser quality companies that probably do have major issues and you you know uh there lie the skulls and crossbones on the side of the road so it's risky obviously and i i will say it's emotionally much more challenging to be contrarian i mean that's just human nature you, you that feeling of you're the one person that's saying this thing's gonna work and 19 other people around you saying it's not and you know what are you the smartest guy in the room, right? Are you all of a sudden this hot shot that knows better than everyone else? And that's a difficult position to be in. And then, you know, you, you read some some uh, FUD and you start doubting yourself and it's hard. It's not easy. The one other thing I'll say, Luke, is uh, that this bit of arguing against myself is your strategy to... Uh, let's say go in a stock that is beloved so without the contrary factor but you're willing to to hold it and not do much with it and over time that's when that strategy starts to shine it takes a long time sometimes and there's stocks i've held for 10 years and i'm still waiting for them to uh turn that corner and, and really start accelerating um one i actually intend to recommend for seven investing next month um so you got to be super patient sometimes with these things mm -hmm. and you got to buy them and keep buying them and when it goes crazy that's when you really stand to benefit yeah. let me pick up another topic as well though that uh, uh as i was reflecting back and going back about seven or eight months i think now um i forget why but we had a conversation about um the worry stocks in my own portfolio 
and I've I've always kind of vaguely kept track of, you know, what do I think of my growth stocks are, my venture stocks, my income, and then the worry stocks. And you really challenged me on that. Like, why do I own these things if I'm worried about them? Like, you know, poop or get off the pot, basically. Um, and that was like, I just, I needed that kick up the backside. Um, and I ended up drastically clearing up that category. I've got, I think, one worry stock left now. I, I had many before. So, uh, you know, that's as a long-term investor, that's money in the bank because it's kind of a counterpoint again to the comment you just mm -hmm. made to me. Like I could be this sticky guy who's just sitting on stuff and waiting, you know, oh, just give it another couple of years. But sometimes if something's really broken, face up to it, take your medicine and pull off the band-aid. So I needed that kick from you to do that with a couple of those positions. Right. And maybe, yeah, the, the what it means to worry that's what we could talk about because there's worry that let's say, um, well, that the company is no longer a strong company. That's a bad thing to have in your portfolio, right? That I, that's, I think what you're talking about, but curiously, uh, as people who have been listening to the show now know all too well, I have a major allocation in the company that I do nothing but worry about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the difference I think there is that I know that the fundamental reasons I'm invested in it, and I'm talking about EOS here, of course, are true and real. And despite the stage of the company, the company is in the stage where things are precarious. So my worry is coming from in the form of execution and how things will turn, you know, am I right about the thesis? But it's not the kind of worry that, oh, the thesis is now all of a sudden breaking apart and maybe time will fix all, all things. So to add a little maybe color to this subtlety is like worry comes in many forms. And I think what Luke is saying is keep your portfolio full of companies that you believe in. And whether it's because they're strong companies or because they have asymmetric risk and they need to survive, but you have your your reasons and you're not worried about them we uh we only have one guest on the podcast this year but i really think he was a fantastic guest and i'm keen to do a lot more interviews in wall street wildlife in the future but we brought um a guy i used to be connected with krishna bhaiwani on for two episodes to chat about investing in india that now forms a core part of my own portfolio. I have an India ETF. I think you're going to see that same ETF in my Wall Street Wildlife portfolio too. Um, fantastic market. And hearing from Krishna on the rapidly changing demographics in that such fascinating country um, really hits so many of the green flags as investment potential for me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, so definitely more interviews with other Wall Street critters that we'll, we'll come across. We promise you that. And on the same note, Luke, I really love, this is something I admire about you. More than most people I know, you live out in the world and you explore the world. I mean, you're often literally always traveling to exotic places. And in the midst of all these travels, you're willing to meet people in real life. And so you've met with uh, uh, future investors, right? Yeah, From Twitter. Last week, yeah. Yep. Uh, and you met with uh, some folks in India. In India and with uh, the Sloth investor, Mr. Sloth. When he That's came right. From London. Yeah. And uh, I admire that. And I think in terms of, you know, watching you get out there and shake hands, it's kind of one of those old school things. It's maybe what, you know, reminded me about the genius of Wolf of Wall Street is, you know, in that story, if you take take away all the greed and insanity uh, it was a guy that said the way you build something is by um, by talking to people, by by engaging in that interpersonal salesmanship of a certain kind, right? Calling people, making relationships. It's, we're all humans, right? It's cool. It's fun. You certainly build a different relationship with somebody when you sit down and have a beer with them or have a cup of coffee with them um, and shake their hand. Like that's very different uh chatting over zoom you, know, you and i haven't met in the flesh yet i feel like we've got a deep relationship now after 26 episodes and countless seven investing uh recommendations but um you know we've got to do that at some point soon i'll be in the states this winter maybe i need to swing by austin hey maybe i can get my company to pay for my travel that'd be good cover my skis <laughs> <laughs> right well i'll definitely see you in a fancy sushi restaurant in in uh Japan with uh, I'll just look for the badger, the guy in the badger outfit. At the very least, I'll see you in a year. (laughs) Well, maybe one of my other comments on on uh, things I've I've benefited from you, and maybe this will come in helpful if uh, if I do have to spring like a very fancy three star dinner for yourself and your wife. Um, So, just as a joke, you were selling Upstart earlier this year. And so as a joke, I bought it. Um, and <laughs> unfortunately, I, sh- I, mean, I, sh- I stuck with it. I should have sold last month. God damn it. I was a 20x, 20 times of my investment on this stupid damn option that I bought. Uh, and I've, I sat on it and it's kind of like swung back a little bit now. I'm still a 5x though. And uh, my returns on that will pay for many three-star Michelin star dinners. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think I'm... You're welcome. I, I, do, <laughs> I do what I can. <laughs> 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 right, so it pays to be contrarian, right? It's like what uh, what Luke just did was he added me as an anti Kramer as a Kramer uh, doppelganger, <laughs> right? Just just do the opposite of what this fella says. Your long form Twitter thread, ongoing post about your travels as an investor, going over your trades, the the most dominant companies in your portfolio, sharing your numbers. I love that it uh, got a response from somebody that I'm familiar with in the investing world who looked at those numbers and said, those numbers can't be real. (laughs) (laughs) 
Because there, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's interesting. Maybe he misread, maybe he didn't see all the columns, but there was a quite a wide uh, swinging back and forth. So it was not a straight shot, but in the end, the gains are really phenomenal. So that was really inspiring because uh, to my own detriment, I'm the worst accountant and bookkeeper. Like I have an allergy to all of the methodical stuff, uh, which you do much better than I. And so it's inspiring to see your results and to think one day I too will keep track of things like that. I've, uh, I've, when, we, when I moved to this house, there's like a bit of the back of the garden and um, uh, we were either going to put a hot tub or we were going to put uh, like some raised vegetable beds and turn it into like a little veggie garden. So we went with the veggie garden and, you know, we nurtured it for three or four years and we got like tons of vegetables out of it. And then, just got kind of got a bit bored of it and now it's like a weed garden um but anyway my buddy albert said to me one day because uh, it's quite complex i knew nothing about farming not farming like you know it's basically like a area the size of this room uh but yeah you can't you shouldn't plant the same thing one year to the next and certain things you put next to each other and they're kind of friendly and they help each other and deter the bugs so i had this like three-dimensional spreadsheet of you know my veggie beds over time and what kind of nutrients will be in the soil and be eaten up and my buddy albert in hong kong was like i'm really jealous of this project just because i love that spreadsheet he didn't want the vegetables he just wanted the spreadsheet <laughs> <laughs> i love a good spreadsheet <laughs> i think uh yeah uh, another greatest hits for me luke was uh getting you to take cold showers that was my, uh, that was listed as my worst topic of the 89. <laughs> if the badger challenge is anything like the cold showers challenge, it's going to be a disaster. I did not enjoy that. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if memory, I don't know if this is mean revising a little bit of historic revisionism, but I do seem to recall that you wussed out pretty early on that you didn't quite fulfill the actual challenge and like going into uh the thought that you couldn't even handle a little bit of uh cool water was uh likewise the low point of, of, my, of, of our year together i think i think i think i'll fulfill the challenge maybe i misunderstood some aspect but anyway i'm sure there'll be many new challenges in the year to come with uh, wall street wildlife but I do, to your great credit, I do, you did record, right? You did record the sound clip of you. And then all I heard was the screaming. And, the, and that was, dope. that that was very pleasing. I, uh, I checked three times. I wasn't sending you the video. I was just sending the audio. <laughs> all right. So, yeah. So that was, uh, what, that's uh, our favorite topics of the year. It's related, but it's it's my reflection on what I learned from you over these 26 episodes. And this is very, very broad. But, and I hope this, is, this will be as useful to listeners as it was for me. You demonstrate over and over again a consistency that has to do with showing up and uh, doing the work. And you're more... Uh, skilled, I think, at just getting stuff done, so to speak, but in a way that it's just whenever I look, like things are done and things are posted and our topics are ready to go and you just do it consistently. 
And I think in terms of investing, it, it uh, you know models your your success, right? You consistently over time follow your process, and lo and behold, <laughs> it it pays amazing dividends. Do you want to say anything about that one point? I have more. <laughs> I think that's true. Uh, maybe to counterpoint your own style, like you are incredibly creative. So if you ever if you only listen to the pod, like I highly recommend just going and reading like the episode descriptions, either on Twitter or seveninvesting.com. Um, Christoph turns these rambling discussions into very humorous, uh, pithy summations in a couple of paragraphs that I love reading. Um, and I think that also reflects the way you manage your portfolio because you're very creative and you see things that many people don't see. And I think that's where your gains come from, finding those diamonds in the rough with your agile monkey-like mind. <laughs> that's so, you know, that's so touching to hear that. When I started the seven investing journey, so it's only, a, what, uh, 14 months now for me, there was a slogan that came across that I thought, oh yeah, that's what I aspire to. And that slogan was to connect dots that as of now are unconnected or some, some version of that, right? Like what, I, what we aspire is to connect dots that are unconnected. And I think in implied in that is right. We, we, we're all privileged to seeing the same facts or data out there, but who can, can maybe reframe them in a way so that a third dot makes a connection that most people wouldn't. And of course the great the great leaps in mankind come from this kind of unexpected way of thinking. So yeah, thank you for saying that, Luke. Uh, another thing that I was really inspired by all year long is that you possess the ability to do uh, deep work. So it's not just that you're consistent, but it seems to me that there's a methodicalness about you that makes it feel like you're not just shooting from the hip. You've done your work. You've put in the time. When you do something, you do it right. In other words, it's to me refreshing, feels refreshingly different from the majority of the fast paced, hyper attention deficit stuff and conversations with you feel more grounded. And I think that consistency plus the depth part is a powerful combination. Thanks. That's, that, is, that is kind. And I think, you know, I'm certainly not without flaws. I've made a ton of poor investment decisions. We're having a, a good red flags conversation next week at Seven Investing. There's one particular company I recommended that I consider to be a core part of my own portfolio. It's actually one I've bought three times for my own portfolio but the company's struggling and actually really solid, constructive feedback from our colleague, Anaban, that's made me challenge myself around this one. So, um, yeah, so if you're a Seven Investing subscriber, watch out for the Red Flags call. We'll be getting into that name um, and many others where we're trying to clean up the school board and, uh, you know, make sure we're only recommending the very best companies uh, that we're aware of, that we've that have come across our radars. But, yeah, no one's without flaw and without fail you can have the greatest process in the world 
you could still pick terrible, terrible stocks. I guess I'm happy if I'm meeting that Peter Lynch benchmark, which is you're doing well in this game if you're right six times out of ten. I think I'm probably right six times out of ten. Right, and this is, it's actually not a failing, a personal failing. You cannot be an investor and not make mistakes, or yeah, it's yeah. just not possible. Like, you can't sit at a poker table and win with aces every time. Like, your aces will lose. So, how you handle the losses, maybe, and the defeats, that's more important than the winners. And the third thing I want to say, Luke, is that you also refreshingly possess the ability to reflect on your own process. And I see you doing this repeatedly. And I teach this in my Zen course, uh, which is in meditation stuff. It's But seeing it embodied in, in real life is, is powerful. You know it when you see it. You know it when the person is genuinely open-minded and not attached to their own fixed views to the extent that when they hear something that is contradictory, they double down on their original point. You, uh, I mean, maybe not always, because it's hard to do it all the time, right? Uh, but you really possess, I've seen it, even mid-conversation, you, you consider alternate viewpoints, and even though you don't necessarily back down, I'm like, oh yeah, Luke's going to really take this seriously. And that's uh, an incredible gift to have as an investor. Like I was going to say something daft, like uh, I'm just a pushover, easily persuaded. But um, there is there is truth in what you say. And I think it is a skill that I've always sought to refine you know, in all aspects of life. I think it's just a better way to live, to be a bit introspective, <laughs> maybe have a couple of spreadsheets and then figure out how you make yourself better next time around. Like I'm not a religious guy in any way, but if... You know, on this sort of, who are the guys who do the reincarnation thing? Is that Zen or is that Buddhism? And then, you know, maybe you try and improve and next time round you're a bit smarter. Yeah, right. Next life, you know what you're coming back as? A badger. So I do have one more topic that's, that's timely uh, to a certain extent, and that, that uh, has to do with this notion of this difference of investing in a troubled company, and therefore, in this case, I'll go back to my stand-in EOS. Right, it's a despack. It's not loved. It's it's got all these issues. But the the heat I get in some of our conversations, you know, oh, here's Christoph with another risky company, and there's just a lot of initial fear and worry when you're dealing with that side of the ledger, right? But what I find interesting and fascinating and what I want your feedback on, Luke, is it's not unusual, unfortunately, to recommend a company that appears to be great and solid and foundationally strong, and that company, too, loses 50%, 60% in a month's time. So an, an obvious example historically known by many people, I assume, is NVIDIA had many such massive drops for one reason or, or another. And at some point, people shifted NVIDIA away from, oh, this is a young startup doing graphics cards to, oh, no, this is the bellwether of GPUs. And even then, I mean, just happened, what, a year ago, right? Uh, the, the crypto crisis brought the supply and demand chain all out of whack, right? And so my question to you is, 
how do you make sense of maybe it's not the fact that any stock could drop a lot, but in these categories, oh yeah, I'm picking a safe stock or a great stock, good stock, and I, I don't need to worry about as much as the crappy stock over in the dung pile. And yet, you know, like, uh, is there a question? Am I asking a question <laughs> or am I just monologuing <laughs> about like, oh man, all stocks can go down? Yeah, I think you're looking for uh, a bit of reassurance on EOS. Right. Um, I don't know that I don't know I can offer that, uh, but I can try and answer the question maybe. Uh, and I think it's stuff we've both said before. But um, the big question you have to answer is, like, is this because of something to do with the company or something to do with the stock? And so what does that really mean? Yeah. If Nvidia had collapsed because of um, bad actions on behalf of on the part of management, Jensen had done something completely insane, um, or their supply chain had just completely collapsed irreparably. Some other thing fundamentally had gone wrong with the company. Competition was massive. Their products had suddenly been displaced. Then those are really bad. Those are serious red flags that will cause me, or that should cause you to reassess that as an investment. But if something's happened to the stock, so can we say this about NVIDIA during the crypto crash? I think we can. Like there was a lot of sort of fear and doubt when um, when that happened that caused the SOC to, uh, to drop. But how material was that really going to be in the long term? I think not at all, a blip. Um, and I think even years ago, it was apparent that NVIDIA's future wasn't in crypto mining, wasn't even in other desktop applications it was in data center and that was just not impacted in any way by what was happening around crypto so i think that's an example there of a, a sound investment that will remain sound you just have to sort of sweat it through that that dark period so maybe right what i was getting at was wasn't really a question it was more like a reminder that in investing we're dealing with real people real companies real troubles no matter how sound you think the plan is in the short term, anything could happen. It's in a, in a sense, it's about expectations, right? Troubled companies have lowered expectations. Therefore, the value is obviously lowered. Uh, expensive companies have high expectations. Therefore, premium is higher. It's about those adjustments that happen in between. But often the solution is, as you've beautifully modeled over the years, is to have a long-term outlook that eases these jagged up and downs. It makes a big difference in how we understand these, these kinds of drops. You know, and what can we do in advance of that problem happening to protect ourselves to some degree? And it's really simple, but it requires a lot of work. It's do your own due diligence. Understand why you own this company. What's your thesis? What are the things you're expecting to happen that will lead to capital appreciation or you know much higher dividends or whatever the thesis is and if you don't really understand those you can absolutely lean on services just like seven investing where we're doing all of that heavy lifting for you we're telling you with each recommendation this is the thesis this is what we think about the valuation these are the things to watch it's a tiny section at the end of every report 
but we try and list out two or three things, the key metrics that an investor should be tracking to know if the thesis is on track. It's a small part of the report, but in some ways the most valuable part of the exercise because it's a reminder that um, you know here are the clear KPIs or metrics that you've got to keep your eye on. If you don't understand those, you probably shouldn't be an investor in that company because you won't know if it's going off track or not. Well, it seems like we're kind of uh, at the top of our usual recording uh, time. So usually what we do now is have the trivia game in which I ask Luke to tell the difference between two things that are true, one thing that is false. But uh, Luke has failed at this task (laughs) each each and every time. And so I thought a big fat goose egg. uh, I no longer wanted to shame him. Uh, and so we're we're gonna we're gonna end on a note of camaraderie and uh, <laughs> sportsmanship before switching gears over into a much more cutthroat challenge and real real moneyed uh, portfolio uh, competition. So Luke, you are off the hook for this week. Exactly. We end the yeah. That is the, it's the main reason we're closing down this podcast because I can't sweat the fact that I've, I keep losing week after week in this damn game because of the convoluted framings of questions. It's clearly awful, not mine being an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, we're, we're not only uh, putting to bed two truths and a lie, but this is sadly the last episode of No Limit, but the first episode of Wall Street Wildlife. You can already find us online. There's not much to see, but we're at wallstreetwildlife.com. There's a podcast, there's a YouTube channel. Uh, There's no content just yet, but we'll have our first episode out a week from this one going live. And actually, we're going to step on the gas and we're going to try and publish episodes on a weekly basis rather than fortnightly, because surely you guys want to hear even more from us. Right. And we'll always have something to talk about because real portfolios will be involved. So if nothing else, you know, you guys will get a a check in on who's winning, who's losing. So that format, we think, will be will prove a little bit more interactive. And that's another thing. We really encourage comments and participation. And we want to know whether you're Team Badger or Team Monkey as the uh, contest unfolds. We're always open to questions and feedback. Our home is as lead advisors on 7investing. And that's where the bread and butter of our research and understanding of companies comes from. So we, we really hope our 7investing subscribers see this offshoot as something that is complementary to the foundational work that is due diligence and research and deep dives and really understanding the companies you're thinking about investing. Rock on. I'm looking forward to uh, being part of this zoo with you. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, Luke. Well, happy birthday to us. And uh, let's see what the next chapter and, and trip around the sun brings.